Welcome to our exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for March 20th. Every week we sit down with leaders across the firm to get their quick take on what they're watching in markets, and it's been an interesting week. We're recording under slightly different circumstances. A lot of us are in work-from-home mode, and uh, I'm Jake Seward, and today's guest is Joe Montesano of our Global Markets Division. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into the analysis, just give us a quick intro, explain what you do here at Goldman. Sure. I uh, I run our America's Equities trading, as well as I have a bit of a global role uh, in our pro- global program trading. I've been here for 21 years. I've probably done just about everything across the equities trading landscape in my in my career or some version of it. And I'm a Goldman Lifer. Let's talk about the week. Another week of extreme volatility in equity markets. Um, you know, the Fed cut rates to nearly zero uh, over the weekend. Um, so a lot of times people expect uh, that they have a, a big impact on, on equity markets, um, but how's the equity market responded to that so far? Yeah, I think the first reaction from a lot of our clients and from the marketplace was that similar reaction to the crisis when maybe participants thought that the, the Fed didn't really get the severity of the current crisis. I think that was a misinterpretation, and I think the market is starting to figure that out. I think that the Fed is doing basically all that it can do and that you know, market participants are now fairly, fairly satisfied. And the market often wants the Fed to be quicker than they're, they're probably likely to do, or they want them to go outside of their remit. But if you look back at it and you look at what Powell uh, has been doing, it is very aggressive by historic standards. Uh, he's certainly in crisis management mode, and but he's following the right protocols. I think what the market was looking for was some sort of fiscal response, which of course is not the Fed's duty. So you know we're getting a, an unprecedented response or an unprecedented crisis, and it's it's interesting to watch this unfold. I think after you know 21 years in the market, I've seen a lot of different crises, and none quite like this one. So it's it's it's, and it's interesting to say the least. So um. Beyond the Fed policy response, what's driving the day-to-day volatility? You know, there's this, this term in, uh, in finance and economics, this Minsky moment, um, where after very long periods of low volatility, uh, they're followed by periods of extreme high volatility. And if you look past, really, since 2011, so nine years now, there really hasn't been much volatility in asset prices. There's been the occasional, whether they're flash crashes or whether they're... Um, the February 18th incident of, of uh, volatility in the equity marketplace. There's uh, discrete periods of them, but in general, it was a very, very non-volatile period. So now we get to do something that's that's an exogenous shock, this virus. And uh, the marketplace was largely predicated upon positions and assumptions about those positions and when when one can get out of them that weren't, that were not set up for this particular moment. So you know, we we certainly have seen a lack of of liquidity, which is a natural, prudent response by market participants. But so we're seeing increased volatility. We obviously, you know, are subject to that as well. Where you know we we can't get out of positions quite as easy. But as our duty as liquidity providers, you know, hopefully the liquidity provider of choice for for our clients, it's been an environment where you know we traditionally at Goldman Sachs have thrived. So um, obviously, there have been a number of automatic trading halts uh, to prevent uh, too dramatic a decline in a single uh, moment. How is that policy lever working uh, for the for the markets, and and what kind of signal does it send to market participants? 
Yeah, I think so. These these really date back to 1987. You know, after the the I think it was 23 percent crash that we had in one day in in, in 1987. And I believe it was uh, I believe it was the Brady Commission that was that was put in charge of finding what actually happened on the '87 crash. And one of the things that came out of that was that they created these these trading halts or curbs that would at least give pause and let people realize and think about what's actually happening, uh, and hopefully to get to get uh, more rational players involved. You know, over the years and since the the past uh, financial crisis in 2008 and 9, the regulators created a more cogent fashion of this happening, whereas the market was a little more fragmented back in 1987. So it created these new circuit breakers that are more market-wide than just, I think, originally they were relative to the New York Stock Exchange. And you know they're not, they're not necessarily designed to stop prices from going to their natural places. This is, you know, what this is, this is America. This, uh, you know, the exchanges are supposed to be places that are finding price discovery, but it's just supposed to create pauses. And I think one thing that you'll find is that with so much computerized trading now, that it, it's it's a pretty good idea to have these in place. Now, again, we've hit them several times over the last you know, two weeks, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they've kept the markets from going down, but but we can certainly take a pause and to realize whether whether these are the these are intended consequences or or just a figment of increased electronic trading. So you mentioned a couple times parallels uh, to to 08. What are some of the parallels and what are some of the real differences between the market response in the global financial crisis and and today's coronavirus markets? You know, it's funny you say that because when I talk to a lot of market participants today, a lot of clients, a lot of uh, a lot of colleagues say, "Well, in 08, we knew what we needed to be done. It was a you know a, a bank and and mortgage liquidity crisis, and it needed to be fixed. And all we just it's just a matter of having the gumption to actually do it, which, of course, living through that at the time didn't seem as if it were very obvious what needed to be done and if it could be done. You know, in, in this example, though, a couple things are different that, you know, like I said before, it is an exogenous shock. This isn't like um, just over levering the system at the time for it to, to come out. But what also is different is the is just the, the the ability for policy response when we were almost at close to zero interest rates and even negative interest rates around the globe. So there's less of a cushion for the central banks around the globe to to uh, add liquidity to the system. But that being said, you know this is also very different because you know liquidity is is not something that is going to solve you know a, a people that are living paycheck to paycheck that now aren't going to be paid for a while. So these are these are real uh, economic problems that we have and you know, we're going to have in the next couple of months. So I think the regulate the the politicians and regulators are actually you know from America's perspective. Uh, surprisingly, getting their act together and doing, you know, and, and being very aggressive, which I think is is all you can ask for. Now, they're not going to just create a couple of months of GDP out of nowhere. But as far as the, the responses, it's it's as good as it can be. So, Joe, uh, you talk to a lot of different clients. How, how are clients positioning themselves right now? And are there any bright spots across all the asset classes? Uh, yeah, I think there are bright spots. I think that any time that we go through one of these bear markets, and recession, which is looking more and more likely, that there are positions that need to be either unwind or, or moved that our clients have to do. And those those are obviously come at sometimes distressed times. So we feel pretty good about our ability 
to help clients mitigate those difficult circumstances as well and, and, and to navigate those as well as we as as can be hoped. The thing I'd say is that, you know, if you asked me this question even just a week ago, I would have said that clients had not really come to the realization what was happening and and granted markets were higher then. But if this week was one of the busiest weeks that I've really ever been associated with in the first three days of the week. And we definitely saw some of the processes that you would like to see that need to happen in order to form, you know, a less volatile period. I'm not going to make any opinions on whether the market goes higher or lower from here, but you're certainly seeing some uh, some evidence of getting positions in better shape. So, you know, if I had to say what are the things that you're probably most excited about is the fact that there has been a lot of cash raised and that our, uh, many of our clients, especially you know, some of the people with uh, longer term money, are in a very good position to be investing right now, to be, you know, to be aggressive. And we feel pretty good about our position to help them do that, too. So you know, looking at the, some of the things that we have invested in over the last couple of years, especially the human aspect of the business where you know, we thrive ourselves on the relationships that we have with our clients. And that's, that's something that's starting, that clients are really appreciating during these difficult times and we're getting the first call. So next week, you know, sort of one of the primary symbols of, of capitalism and markets, the New York Stock Exchange will be closed. They don't want to put their employees at risk. Um, and so they will be moving to full electronic trading. Um, you know, obviously, we've seen that on other exchanges. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of exchanges that have kept some of the, and there's, there's different arguments for plus and minus, but have kept some of the uh, legacy floor operations, SIBO, uh, CME, uh, NYSE very publicly. You know, we see it all the time on NBC. And uh, but largely, you have to remember that that New York Stock Exchange is really in Mawa, Mawa, New Jersey. That's where their servers are. That's where the the actual trades are happening. The floor is largely for opens and closes of the of the marketplace. That's handled by humans and has human intervention. One can make an argument that that does uh, create a bit more of an orderly open and closes. But and one can argue against it, by the way. But uh, largely, they seem to have very good backup plans in place. We'll know next week. But there are plenty of uh, markets and exchanges that operate solely electronically now. So I think anytime there's any changes, we always have to be cognizant of uh, operational risks. So are we, um, any, anytime you know, people aren't used to sending orders a specific way, you have to be careful. But in general, you know, this is probably more in line with uh, more electronic markets. So we feel okay about it. Okay. Well, so amidst all the uh, the, the drama and and the negative news and and the understandable concern about um, the health of our of our country, any positives that you saw this week? Something you saw at the office or at home? Yeah, there's a lot of positives. Um, you know, for one, there's you know watching some of our employees that probably have been re- remotely working for a while now, some of whom um, were either in compromised situations or felt like they they wanted to be at home. Um, we were very supportive. There, there's, you know, a couple of people that work for me that have been highly engaged and while they're at home, and um, and that's been a really pleasant surprise just to just to, just to see how how much people that um, are in personal risky situations are really engaged, and they, you know, they're, they're obviously putting their health at first. And that's what we want them to do, but just how how much you know being a part of Goldman Sachs means to them, and and is is really you know, an outlet and a fun thing for them to do while they're, um, well, I think we all have a bit of a cabin fever these days. You know, the uh, another thing that comes to mind 
I was really pleased about the executive office's approach to helping uh, the community, especially in small businesses. I think, you know, I, I personally live in New York City and and see, you know, a ton of small businesses, whether it's the local restaurant or the local gym or, you know, dry cleaner. That those those are things that I think we all, as not only Goldman Sachs partners, but but you know, members of of the community, that you know we want to be, you want to make sure that we're putting the community really in the top of mind for us, and that's that's something that we're all gonna. Or I think every partner that I talk to is really excited about actually giving uh, giving money towards the cause towards this, this cause and to and to fortify the community. So it's really been been a pleasant thing for us to talk about. All right. Well, Joe, thanks for joining us this week. I know you've been super busy, so we appreciate you taking the time. You bet. Thanks, Jake. That's all for this week's Markets Update on Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out our other episode this week with Goldman Sachs Global Medical Director, Dr. Michael Rindell, who talks about what employees and managers can be doing to stay healthy and productive while working remotely during this pandemic. Thanks for listening and hope everyone's staying healthy and well during this challenging time. This podcast was recorded on March 19th, 2020. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.